This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi. Sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Ratchford Eye Center, MD Advantage, UConn Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information, and we answer all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and today it's great to be back with a live program, so we'll be taking questions. And I have a guest who will be calling in. Uh, That is Dr. Montgomery Douglas. Dr. Douglas is a family medicine physician at UConn Health, and part of what he does is get adolescents and young people ready for school. So we want to talk a little bit about the back-to-school time that we're in right now. I know my colleague Steve Parker spoke a little bit about that earlier uh, today, uh, especially with uh, respect to bullying. So we'll touch on that, but uh, we want to talk about the things you need to do, especially if you have a child going away to school, either to boarding school or going away to college. So we'll be chatting with um, Dr. Douglas later in the program. Um, I also have a taped interview that I'm going to play for everybody that is a must-listen. This is a patient who I became familiar with, and she has done amazing things after being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. You know, so often we hear the words multiple sclerosis and we think, oh my goodness, I'm going to be in a wheelchair and disabled. And I have to tell you that that those numbers have shifted so far in favor of people who are out there doing things. We have athletes performing at the highest level of sport who have a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis, a correct diagnosis of multiple sclerosis meeting the criteria. So things have changed a lot with that diagnosis. And uh, my interview with uh, Marissa Bowasa is really a must-listen to really encourage people who are facing any type of chronic illness and their approach to that. Athletes have a different approach to chronic illness. Uh, You know, in my experience in working with athletes, I've had to give bad news to athletes, tell them that they have ALS or a malignant brain tumor, things such as that. And where most people would just, you know, resign themselves to this, athletes almost ignore me and say, well, okay, doc, I have this, but how do I get back? All right, what's my rehab? Because they're so used to rehabbing from injuries Right, you got a torn ACL. They've got a program to get back, and you get back to the gym. You get to the training room. You get to the gym, and you work your way back. And it's interesting that athletes typically have that same approach, even with a chronic illness or a life-threatening illness. Is okay, big deal, doc. A lot of words, but how do I get back? And they do so much better than everybody else. It's that interesting spirit. So we're gonna we're gonna hear from. Uh, Marissa Bowasa uh, later in the program. Uh, Here's something that's been going on in the press here. Uh, Again, the religious exemptions for vaccines is coming back to us. And the real issue, this is, it's almost unbelievable, but five state representatives, uh, Anne Dufine, Mike France, Craig Fishbein, Rick Hayes, and David Wilson, 
they are part of the conservative caucus. Now, what's interesting is they kind of broke away from the conservative caucus on this. Their point is they found it wholly inappropriate for the state's highest public health authority, okay, Ms. Renee Coleman Mitchell. She is the commissioner of public health. And they felt it was wholly inappropriate for her to comment on the issue of the religious exemption for vaccines. So let me give you a little background. In the state of Connecticut, we have an exemption if people say it's against my religion to get a vaccine. And our numbers, our percentages for the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine have been dropping, in which case we don't have herd immunity and people are getting sick. Children are getting sick. And in other parts of the country, these children are dying. So what are we doing about it? Nothing. Nothing. Because of, it looks like these five Republicans. And it's interesting, as I said, because the rest of the conservative caucus has not stepped up and said, yeah, we support you guys. So I think they're out on a limb. And it's it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous because in other states, okay, the commissioner of public health has been able to weigh in, along with the American Academy of Pediatrics and the Connecticut Academy of Family Physicians. So I'm told, well, it's not a crisis yet. Wow. You imagine somebody telling you, we're going to wait for it to be a crisis, and then we'll do something about it. Are you kidding? So once again, these people, and especially Mr. France, uh, he's, he's been the most vocal and outspoken person and um, about this. Uh, where he is against this, really, he feels it's an issue of civil rights. I have to tell you something: health trumps civil rights, because there are people in this state, children who can't be vaccinated because they're too young. There are children who can't be vaccinated because of allergy, and they have rights as well, and they have a right to attend public school that's a safe public school. Listen, nobody's saying you, your child can't go to private school. Okay, homeschool your child if you don't want them to be vaccinated. One of the other things that's a misnomer is they resent the idea that the 95% figure is what you need for herd immunity for all immunizations. And that's not true. That's not what's being used. Now, we don't like to dazzle people with a lot of statistics for each, but for the MMR vaccine, which is what we're talking about here, 95% is the figure you need to accomplish in a population for herd immunization. It's not the same for all vaccines. For polio, it's 85%. But we're not going to start breaking that all down for these people because, you know, some are really simple-minded about it, so we don't want to make it too complicated. So we go with the 95% figure with the hope that sooner or later, and, and again, this should not be a Republican issue, a Democrat. I don't even want to talk about that on this show. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about health of children. So uh, these guys need to uh, get on their horse and figure out what's going on. And we will keep reminding them. And I don't hesitate to use their names uh, because it's ridiculous what they're putting forward. Here's another one. Uh, Antonio Brown. Have you guys heard about him? He's a football player. And he's a star football player uh, for the Raiders right now. So he has a helmet that's 10 years old, and he wants to still use it, even though it has not passed the safety tests. He's in a bad situation because 
those safety tests were not put together just by the NFL. They were put together by his union. So the NFL and the NFLPA, by full disclosure, I am a consultant for the National Football League Players Association. We got together and hired people to study helmets at all levels. And his helmet doesn't fit. It doesn't work. It's not safe for him to be using that helmet. So in an effort to keep him safe, um, he has now filed a grievance. Here's another guy out on a limb because even his own union can't support him on this because they came forward with this. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see if he even plays football. He said he's willing to sit out the whole season and forego his salary of $30 million. Now, there are a lot of helmets on the list that are safe. It's not like there are two or three. It's a long list. And actually, I recommend parents go to that list. If you go to NFL, NFLPA helmet safety, you'll get the list. It's, it's an extensive list. There are even helmets now that they could make custom-made to fit an athlete's head so that they're totally comfortable. Here's what I do know about athletes. They are superstitious. This man's had a successful career for the last 10 years. He does not want to give up his helmet. And we see this all the time with athletes. You know, they, when they're on a roll, they're wearing the same socks. I mean, anybody who's been around athletes, I have a feeling there's a superstition associated with him giving up his helmet. Uh, so with that, we'll follow that story. I guess the most current story right now is about vaping and lung disease. Now, vaping is something I don't have a lot of familiarity with. So I really had to go look it up on the, I mean, I see people doing it, uh, but I, I, it's not something that I've had a lot of experience with, nor do I totally understand. So uh, basically uh, one of our problems uh, right now is uh, the first death was experienced in Illinois uh, related to these illnesses. Uh, overall, there have been 149 cases in 15 states, including Connecticut, many of these affecting teens and young people. So vaping is what people use as a substitute for smoking cigarettes. They're also called e-cigarettes. And what it does, it has a battery and a heating element and heats up a vapor that's inhaled. Now, in that vapor, it's not just water, like a vaporizer, right? And I don't even know if they still use those, but we used to use them when I was a kid. If you had congested congestion, you had to humidify the air, what they do is mix things in with that. So for people trying to quit smoking, there's some nicotine in there. Uh, and there, a lot of these are associated with the use of THC, the active ingredient in marijuana, so that it heats up and you're smoking marijuana through this device. And then there are uh, what they call the home brews. So basically, people are just putting toxic particles in their lung, whether it be nicotine, whether it be marijuana, or whether it be a home brew. And they're experiencing episodes of coughing, shortness of breath, fatigue. Uh, some are also having vomiting and diarrhea. So these 149 cases are being followed closely. Uh, does it have to do with the device? Probably not. Um, it, it sounds like it's got to do with whatever the particles are they're putting in in between. And in many of these cases, it is marijuana or the active ingredient. So unfortunately, we've had the first death now in Illinois. 
and we're going to follow this story and and just just try to get people to avoid this. I, I understand that it's hard to quit smoking and there are other ways of doing it, but this vaping thing uh, may be more dangerous than we think. So it's something we need uh, to really keep an eye on. The, the last thing I want to mention in this segment is really heat illnesses. Be aware, you know, your child is out there now playing football. It's hot. Okay, and you really have to be mindful. I became aware of a new device, a wet bulb globe thermometer. This is something teams use to measure not only the temperature out on the field, but the humidity. Because you have to really shed water. You have to sweat in order to be able to uh, manage things out on the field. Uh, In addition to that, having an ice tub of water handy and available on the field. That's how you Solve the problem. When it's a crisis, when you've gone from heat exhaustion to heat stroke, you've got to get the body temperature down, get them in the ice bath. And I know that most Connecticut schools all participate in the program put out by our friend and a friend of this show, Dr. Douglas Casa. All right, we're going to take a short break. And now we're going to be back with Miss Marissa Boasa, and uh, an MS patient and advocate for people with multiple sclerosis. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. This is Dr. Anthony Alessi, and I have the pleasure of being with Marissa Boasa. Uh, Ms. Boasa uh, is someone I came in contact with uh, through my practice and through my colleagues at the University of Connecticut. And the reason I wanted to interview her today is I feel that she epitomizes what sports neurology is about. Very often people think sports neurology is just about concussion and head injury, and yet so much of what we do is trying to get people who have a neurologic condition reach their maximum performance. And I think um, she epitomizes that. Marissa, thanks for spending time with us today. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about your odyssey? Well, I think it's important that as a patient, if you feel that something's wrong, you need to go to the doctors. And one of the main reasons why I came to UConn is because they are very much about looking truly at the overall and analyzing what was wrong. So once they diagnosed me with multiple sclerosis, I, of course, went to the MS Center, which in turn put me on the road to what I needed to do next. I'm going to have you back up a little bit. So let's talk about how you first presented. How did we get to this diagnosis? Well, at the time, I was trying to run uh, for the Philadelphia Marathon in 2018, and I was struggling with running. I mean, I was struggling with walking. Okay. And, uh, you know, so we see a lot of people who have struggling with walking. Yes. And actually, you first came and saw my associate, Dr. Hall. Yes. Right? Who is a primary care sports medicine Mm -hmm. specialist, and um, that's where it all started with difficulty walking. Then you went to orthopedics. So it was kind of an interesting series of events. It was. It was over a couple of, or a few months, I would say. It was compartment syndrome testing. It was analyzing gait. um, It was doing x-rays to find out, is there something that might have needed a surgical, right? And that's why we had Dr. Corey Edgar. Um, So really, truly, again, looking at the overall, what was the issue? Because it just didn't seem at the time that it was even neurological. And what's interesting is the neurologic exam, when we think of the exam, 
it, we always think of it being a static exam, meaning the patient's sitting there, you do some tests, ask them to push, and that's it. And yet it's become a dynamic exam because probably the key thing in achieving a diagnosis was getting you on a treadmill and making you run. Yes. Right? Because yes. we didn't see anything until no. you started running. And once I started running, you would see um, the drop foot. I mean, to the point now I have drop leg overall, but you would start seeing it. And that made the three of you take a step back and go, okay, we really need to look more closely at this to the point of getting that brain MRI. Okay. So how, let's talk about the next part of all this. Okay. How did you get back to running? We referred you out. You saw yes. uh, Dr. Wade. The first thing they did is they um, did a uh, spinal assessment to just kind of really understand what truly was going on. They had me immediately with the Mount Sinai rehabilitation, which is amazing. I worked closely with Joan. She put me in the ankle foot orthotics, also known as AFOs, and they had me on their treadmill. So I was actually strapped in a harness, and I, I was literally learning how to run again. And again, it's interesting because you mentioned Mount Sinai, which is part of St. Francis, which is part of Trinity, and they're the enemy, right? They're across town. They're our competitor. But I wanted patients to understand that as much as medicine is broken up into these various systems, okay, we as physicians know where the best person is. And in your case, the best person to treat you at the time was Dr. Wade, who was across town working for somebody in a different uniform. I don't know what the heck we have anymore with these systems. So <laughs> so it was interesting that really that it was a team effort at UConn as well as in conjunction with St. Francis. Yes, and what was also pretty awesome is when he and I met, we knew each other because I had been in a car accident. We actually had the MRI from 2004. Well, at least the information. Sure. I didn't have any lesions, right, in 2004. But we were actually able to have a reunion. And truly, the first thing he said to me is, I talked to Dr. Lessie. We need to get you into an AFO. We want to get you moving. Right. And we, we knew that that we... So with athletes, it's interesting because the most important thing you're going to do is get them back to moving. Yes. So, okay. They give you an AFO. Where did you go from there? Well, from the AFO... They said, well, we need something that gives you more of a spring. So Tuan said, hey, we want to pilot a new spry step, and we're going to have you pilot it. That actually allowed me to start adding mileage, and then I needed to get a coach. So I do actually have a coach who happens to be Ken Bruno, director of rehabilitation, and he now started getting me on a bike and on a treadmill and in a pool and now really starting to program the body mechanics to run again. So what have you been doing now? Where are you at now? I know you've been in part of marathons and other races. Uh, just tell our listeners a little bit about really where this has taken you. This is taking me all the way to the point. Um, so let's just go ahead and we'll go back in a second. I'm now on the Aiello Inspirational Team for the Hartford Marathon. Okay. okay. I'll be running a half marathon. But just two weeks ago, I ran 12 miles. I couldn't run 12 minutes when I met you. Right. And since then, I've done uh, three road races, one trail run. Um, the three rail ra uh, road races I'm very excited about is Yukon's uh, with the Iron Horse, and I placed 5K Divisional Athlete. So I didn't just want to run. I wanted yeah. to get something out of Great. it. Great. <laughs> so, Marissa, I guess, what's the message you have for other people? Because 
you're not alone. Multiple no. sclerosis affects a lot of young people. A lot of young athletes have neurologic conditions. And what we do is we see people with epilepsy. We see people with migraine headaches. Yes. We see people with MS who are athletes. What's your message to them? So my message is fight for mobility. It doesn't say fight for MS. It doesn't say fight for gait or fight for AFO. It says fight for mobility because it's more than just running, right? And I'm a patient ambassador with Hanger Clinic. So I actually meet with other individuals and talk about ankle foot orthotics and how they can be more mobile. At the end of the day, we want to not just for our physical, but our emotional, our mental, stay mobile, keep moving. That's my message. Keep moving and fight for your physical and mental mobility. Marissa, I can't thank you enough for spending time with me today. And uh, more importantly, um, all that you've accomplished for all our patients. Well, I can't thank you um, enough because the three of you really made sure that you put me on the right track to doing what I love to do. And I'm going to be running Philadelphia Marathon 2019. I'm registered and I will be there on November 24th. And we'll be cheering for you. Take care. Thanks. If you'd like more information about Marissa Bawasa and her uh, fight, she has a YouTube channel, uh, which is Fight for Mobility Channel. Uh, or fightformobility at gmail.com. Next up, we're going to be chatting with Dr. Montgomery Douglas from the University of Connecticut. Uh, the call-in number is 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. And uh, before we get to my guest, we have a caller. Uh, we have Terrence on the cell. Terrence, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you, Doctor? I'd just like to uh, uh, state uh, that your analysis of athletes is the proper one because I had an aneurysm at the age of 15 and a half back in 1971, and I was a boxer, and I had dreams of a Golden Globe competition, and uh, unfortunately I had a premature blood vessel up in the brain, and I would have had it later on in my life. I'm 65 now and uh, take the same attitude and it seems to help me tremendously overcome, uh, you know, uh, negative negativity. I had residual paralysis on the right side still, but uh, I try to do my best every day with that attitude. Uh, I think athletes have a different attitude than the commoner and it carries them through life. I don't believe in over-medication. Uh, I believe in exercise. But uh, that's what I'd like to contribute to your show. Well, Terrence, thank you for that contribution. Uh, it, it's so important. I'm glad it's worked for you. And the more we can get the message out for people that they don't have to be a high-level athlete, but it's the mindset and getting out there for regular exercise. Terrence, thanks for calling, and thanks for listening to the show. Right Bye-bye. My guest today is Dr. Montgomery Douglas. Dr. Douglas is a family – he is uh, – a family practice physician. He's an MD. He works at our Canton facility for the University of Connecticut. Monty, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tony, uh, Dr. Alessi. Uh, ah, call me to Tony. Yeah, we can go by first <laughs> names on this show. So sure. let's Thank talk you. a little bit about the back to school stuff. I think, you know, everybody's concerned about back to school, right? They're going to get to buy loose leaf books, spiral books, backpacks, things like that. But from a health standpoint, what do parents need to know now that we're getting into this whole back-to-school mentality? Well, um, the, a, a bunch of things um, 
that that uh, health is you know is something that good health does re- reflect itself in a better academic performance you know so so yes we we want to look at the uh, all those various things the shopping and all those things people do back to school but I'm glad that we're getting a chance to look at what is it that we need to pay attention to health wise uh, there there are some very simple things you know washing hands <laughs> you know they look so simple but it actually does reduce the incidence of various uh, infections um, get uh, getting va- uh, getting vaccinated you know um, you know that that's very important you know and many many times we we see a lot of kids at this time of the year for their back to school physicals and uh, that's when we update their vaccinations and uh, I would just encourage uh, I would just encourage all parents out there to 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 get the vaccinations that are recommended by the so, CDC so Monty let me stop you there because uh, you know as children are getting back to college okay um, there are a different set of vaccines we talk about there's the HPV vaccine we now have a uh-huh. vaccine for meningitis B right uh-huh. so yeah. can you talk a little bit about these vaccines and why they're important um, so we do a lot of talk about measles, mumps, rubella, but, you know, HPV is something they didn't have when I was a child in terms of the vaccine or for meningitis B. If you could comment on those two, I'd appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So HPV is extremely common out there. You know, one in four Americans have had it. And most times it, it just actually uh, goes away by itself. But there are some um, um, bad types of HPV that that may cause uh, cervical cancer. Maybe over 90% of cervical cancer is caused by HPV. So here's a, here's a chance for someone to save a life, you know, their own life, that we are doing uh, when we give them that HPV vaccine. Now, um, it turns out that only 49% of our, our teens get the vaccine. And uh, that's unfortunate because uh, it, it's just as, it's just as effective as any other vaccine, but obviously we have to administer it. And so, so I would highly recommend, you know, the HPV vaccine. When it comes to meningitis, um, so the HPV vaccine is is a two mostly a two vaccine series. We we give it at age eleven to 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 twelve, and they get another one at age sixteen. And uh, if they if they miss that period, they can get it all the way up to age twenty one for uh, for for boys and up to 26 for girls um and um so so it's one of those things that we've not had good luck with in in having parents widely uh um, accept and um in my own practice i i recommend it as a routine rather than make it be something that is an extra thing that i ask about you know i i I give them the details but um it's just something I think is, is just considered a routine. So, Monty, what's the argument against it? Why Why do you think it hasn't caught on among parents? Because we're always told, I'm, I'm always asked questions, when are we going to find a cure for cancer? Okay, well, guess what? We've got one. Okay, the HPV vaccine avoids, I mean, we've seen a drop in cancer of the cervix in women that's dramatic, dramatic, yes. since yes, using dramatic. this vaccine, even to a limited extent. So what's the argument against it? Why do parents not have their children vaccinated for human papillomavirus? Yeah, they feel that it, it, 
Yeah, because it is a vaccine that prevents a sexually transmitted disease, that their 11-year-old, their 12-year-old is getting the message that, you know what, I can go ahead and have sex, uh, risky sex uh, because uh, my parents are protecting me from it, so fine, I'm, I'm good. And that's, that's the thing that, that, but you know, a study in JAMA, Journal of the American Medical Association, showed that the rate of infections in vaccinated and unvaccinated actually is the same, so that it, it doesn't actually promote people to do more, uh, to have more sex, have more risky sex. So this is, this is proof that um, if we just give it as a routine, uh, what it does is protect them from that particular cancer while not necessarily promoting them to have risky sex. It sounds like it's a communication issue between a parent and a child more than anything um, uh, in terms of explaining yeah. what this is. I, I would agree, and it's also a communication issue in how we how we promote the vaccine. You know, I I mean, I remember a study that we did back when I was at New York Medical College um, in in one of our our residencies, where uh, looking at you know why is it that there was only at that particular uh, site was only twenty six percent vaccination rate for HPV, and 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 quite a long story short, it turned out that that we somehow the implication that we give to the parents either from the nursing or from the doctors is that this this is an std prevention uh, uh, vaccine as opposed to you know this is just a routine vaccine we give here's what it does and we recommend it to you as your doctor you know there's a nuance there you know where you look a little guilty kind of thing that, that's, yep. that's the message that they're getting. Yep. So uh, let's go on to meningitis, because obviously it's something I see as a neurologist, uh, and, and it is deadly uh, uh, from that standpoint. So we have a vaccine now for that. That's right, and that's wonderful. Certainly it wasn't, wasn't there when I was a resident 25, 30 years ago. And, and, and so we have this vaccine, you know, that prevents men, uh, men, men A, you know, men, men just A, the, the, those in that group. And it's pretty routine. Everybody should get it age 11 to 12 and, again, a booster at age 16. But more recently, there is an opportunity to get protection for meningitis B, which is a different um, uh, group. And uh, now that one is not required, but... Um, except in certain groups, people that are immunocompromised. But those that are, this is a conversation that, that, that parents can have with their doctor, you know, and many colleges actually want to have people vaccinated for meningitis, that, that B group. So I, we've been given quite a bit, actually, in my practice. Um, so it's, it's one of those that it's required for, for certain high-risk groups, uh, but other groups may want to have it, you know, you know, and so it's it's um, it's uh, uh, something to consider, and you know we've been just many many are coming in, many you know colleges are saying you know what they would like that for their for their uh, college kids. Well, just as an example, in the military, you get it, okay? Because when people yeah. are living in close quarters, such as barracks, I know where I volunteer at the Coast Guard Academy, it's mandatory mm-hmm. um, yes. because an outbreak of meningitis is deadly. 
Uh, we're yeah. going to take a short break, and then we're going to get back with my guest, uh, Dr. Montgomery Douglas. Dr. Douglas is a family practice physician. He is part of the University of Connecticut. He practices in Canton, Connecticut. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the medical aspects of bullying and what are the signs and what do you need to know about as a parent. We're taking a short break. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. And my guest today is Dr. Montgomery Douglas. Dr. Douglas is a family practice physician at the University of Connecticut you know, Monty, maybe just briefly, can you explain to our listeners a little bit about what family practice is and how that specialty has evolved over the years? Sure. So family, family we call it family medicine. Yeah. Um, used to formally call family practice. But what it is is the modern version of the general practitioner of old. Uh, what happened, uh, say, 50 years ago, um, when you had a family doctor, that doctor took care of all your needs. You went to that doctor first for any kind of health condition that you had, regardless of whether it was medical, psychological, social. Um, and that doctor was the, your contact with any other doctor. Uh, the doctor also delivered your babies, took care of your kids, um, did whatever GYN exam, whatever, took, did minor surgery. Sometimes back then it was even major surgery. Uh, but in the past 50 years, it's it's been basically so that that um, specialty reappeared with a full curriculum and with training the same amount of training as any other specialty uh, 50, 50 years ago and it, and it was recreated as family medicine back then called family practice so this is the nation's second largest specialty and the University of Connecticut has training programs, and there are over 600 residency training programs where people teach med- those who just graduated to become family physicians. So it's, we call it family physician. So it's like your family doctor, but who is a specialist, a specialist in you. Wow, that, that is just a great explanation. Um, getting back to our discussion on children going back to school, you know, bullying has become a, a real issue. Now, I understand it, it it's always existed. I mean, there have always been bullies in the world and in school. But it's really gone to another level now, uh, especially with the Internet and so-called cyber bullying. Um, so what do parents need to know with their child being in school now and if their child may be the victim or maybe the bully? Um, what are the warning signs people need to know about? I, I would say um, unexplained injuries, um, suddenly, you know, lost or destroyed clothing, books, electronics, you know, uh, jewelry, um, frequent headaches, uh, and anything that's unexplained, you know, changes in their eating habits. You know, our, our parents uh, do follow and watch their kids carefully. And you see things that are unexplained. You think about bullying, because bullying in the old days, it was just, there was always bullies, you know. Right. It's as old as, <laughs> as history. But these days, you have, um, you know, uh, you have a more diverse population. You have the Internet. Um, you have um, uh, more, a lot more subtlety in bullying, you know, verbal. You know, bullying is verbal also. It's not just sure. physical. And so 
I know kids are actually, I, I don't know if it's true with our studies, but, but are more vulnerable, actually. And so we, we're finding that this is actually a very common thing. And so parents really should keep their eye out, you know, for these various signs that we mentioned. And there are many, many more, you know, things like declining grades, um, difficulty sleeping, frequent nightmares, sudden loss of friends, you know, um, feelings of helplessness. Um, you know, self-destructive behaviors. So, so, so it, it is, it is something that, you know, and, and again, that, that, that's something we just have to, we just have to keep our eye out for. There, there are many, many signs. Suppose your child is the bully. Exactly. Suppose your child is the bully. You know, what do you do? Um, parents should talk with their kids, you know, ask them, you know, uh, you know, how would you feel if you were being bullied? Um, praise them for ways in which they are able to communicate without hurting other people or without teasing uh, or without uh, putting down other people. Um, they, can, uh, they can model also, you know, um, can they, you know how, do, how do they manage their conversations at home? Um, you know, you, they, they, they are, there are many... They are, the, the, what, what we'll find is that, you know, yes, there are many people being bullied, but there are also bullies. That, 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 and, and we want to be careful to, to, to talk to, the, to the, our kids about that. Not so much in a punishing manner, but, but in, a, in an encouraging manner. And, and to share with them what would be an alternative way of doing it. Of course, if that doesn't work, then you step it up to, you know, talking, talking with the teachers. The, the principal, and so on and so on. You know, Monty, you hit on, I think, one theme that has gone throughout this conversation has been communication. And it's something that we've neglected to some degree, that's communication between children and parents. One of the things I actually saw on the UConn website where they looked at back to school, uh, it gave a, a few hints to everybody. And one of them was start planning for a family meal. And because that's where the conversation typically happens in our culture, and that is around a meal. That's where these topics come up. And, Absolutely. you know, people are always saying that, well, you know, schedule this, that. How, how do you get around that? Do you have a – I mean, you're, some of your patients must obviously do this, and others cannot. I mean, how important is this? Yes, it is very important, you know, because in the, in, in the old days, we, we were communicating all the time. Now people are communicating through their phones. And, and while that's not necessarily a bad thing, it has hampered the process of interpersonal communication. There are things that we just need to be able to communicate interpersonally, and that, that's just not happening. So I like your idea of, um, of having, you know, that, that family meal once a day. And, and it requires sacrifice. People are working very hard, one, two, three jobs. You know, and so to arrange schedules to make something like that happen, yep. we have to actually uh, recognize it as a priority. But but that's that's very important. You know, uh, parents can insist that that when they're talking to their kids, their kids, um, are, 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 you know, get off their phone. Um, there are ways in which that you can uh, encourage kids that 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 their last period of time before bed. They really should be off their device. 
um, to allow them to, you know, ease into sleep. But that's another time that communication could take place. As much as possible, you know, parents should join their kids in exercise activities because it's very hard to exercise out there and you're on your phone at the same time. Sure. Or, you know, yep. so communication, there are many ways to communicate. Sometimes we have to join them on the field, you know, or in play as opposed to, you know, but, 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 but we have to be careful not to make the phone be a battleground. Absolutely. That's something they really enjoy. Monty, thank you so much for your time, and, and thanks You're for all welcome. you do for the patients in the Canton area and all you contribute to UConn Health. Thank you. My great pleasure. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. It's been a great pleasure to have uh, Dr. Montgomery Douglas as my guest. Um, a couple of things. Tonight, I'm going to be in Bridgeport. Okay, big fight at the Webster Arena. This is Bellator MMA. Uh, if you're down that way, come on down to ringside, say hello. Always like to meet with listeners uh, along the way. Uh, we're going to be featuring some things on the show of exercise, fitness things to be done this fall. I'm going to have uh, Rory Maxwell on as my guest. We're going to do an interview, a little bit about getting out and playing sports, specifically golf in his case and using the fall as a time to continue an exercise regimen. Many thanks to our studio producer. Mike Olko has been on the board. Jeff Chandler is in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. Next up on WTIC is going to be Garden Talk with Len. Please remember to help save lives by becoming an organ, eye, and tissue donor. You could do that by going to registerme.org. Until next week, this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi. Sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Ratchford Eye Center, MD Advantage, UConn Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.